0: Welcome back to Fraudology. My guests today are Matt Vega and Siddharth Shah, Sid for short. Matt was previously on Fraudology twice, once back in t- January of 2021, talking about his transition from military intelligence to online fraud strategy expert. And again, in February of last year, 2022, talking about his time working with Candy Digital to create their fraud and trust and safety strategy and operations, providing NFTs for Major League Baseball and other sports leagues. As Matt will mention again on this episode, he really enjoys being a fraud strategist and going in and working with early stage startups to build their fraud strategy and operations out. And then we'll often go on to another project uh, after that's done. However, as I think he'll also mention on this episode, his time at this current company uh, will be a while. There's a lot to do and he's really enjoying it. And Matt is now working uh, at Novo.co. It's a fintech that provides financial services products to early stage entrepreneurs and small businesses. Sid has become one of Matt's secret, well, until now, weapons at Novo in his role as senior product manager of onboarding. Sid previously worked for Cornerstone Research in several roles providing financial analysis to attorneys in commercial litigation and regulatory law. He also spent some time at one of the first mobile banks, N26, being head of product management for onboarding there. Together in less than a year, Matt and Sid and other really great members of their team have worked insanely hard to build strategies for each of Novo's financial products that both provide risk mitigation and safety for their customers. As Matt and Sid will explain soon, Novo's core customer is one that most traditional risk strategies would deny for accounts or do business with, primarily because they often use unfair verifiable data. So they've had to get creative to minimize their organization's risk exposure while maximizing revenue, especially in the current economic client that many fintech startups are facing. Because I've known Matt for a few years now, and because I'd had the privilege of speaking with Sid in the past, I knew that this conversation would be a good one, full of nuggets of wisdom and practical advice. And to be honest, this was one of the best conversations I've had in a while. And because there was so much to talk about, today's episode is part one of our conversation and part two will be published on Thursday. So make sure you're subscribed to Fraudology and have notifications turned on in your podcast app because on Thursday, Matt and Sid will be talking more about the ways that they see that fraud fighting needs to be innovated to detect and manage fraud in the future. And funny enough, Matt and I purposely didn't trade notes on exactly what they're doing to improve authenticating identity, detecting fraud, and greatly reducing customer friction ahead of time. I wanted to hear about it on the episode and within the podcast. Also, Matt and I are fairly well known, at least to our spouses, for having like three or four hour phone conversations if we're catching up. So we thought, okay, it will be faster to just catch up on this episode. But not too surprisingly, the concepts that they've developed are exactly where I see the fraud prevention industry needing to adapt to quickly. If we'll ever be able to maintain and or earn customer engagement trust, as well as detect fraudsters and bad actors and abusers within our network, I'm sure we all know that they're getting better, sometimes with lower level technology, but they're still getting better. And so we need to continually adapt and grow. And I think just like we had a pretty big iteration of change in strategy and technology and products about six to eight years ago, I really believe that that's coming soon. And so you'll get to hear all about that on Thursday. It was really a good conversation and very surprisingly tied in with our current sponsor right now. So more on that on Thursday. And that was completely like not planned at all. (laughs) And on today's episode, Matt and Sid are going to talk all about kind of challenges they've had within creating this strategy uh, for Novo for very unique circumstances and unique types of customers with challenges that traditional fraud-fighting technology and strategies don't necessarily work for, as well as some of the lessons they learned in vendor selection and overall mapping out the product and all of that. So both conversations are really good. So let's listen in on the first part of my conversation with Matt Vega and Sid Shaw, both from Novo.co. Sid and Matt, I am so happy to have you both here. I have mentioned to you both before that a lot of my audience isn't in my wheelhouse of e-commerce fraud. And there's a lot of things that you know are relevant to everyone, whether it's e-commerce or fintech or in financial institutions with and identity and account security. And I happen to know, because I am lucky to know uh, you both, Matt, a little bit more than Sid, but I'm excited to, I've gotten to know Sid a little more lately. I know you guys are doing some really cool things at Novo. I'm excited for us to talk about them. So with that, Sid, why don't you go ahead and just tell us a little bit or tell me a little bit about how you got to Novo and what's your background? Sure.
1: Sure. First off, thanks for having me. I'm really excited to be here and listening to some of your podcasts and make me happy to be here. So I started my career in consulting and then I made a very hard pivot to the identity KYC fraud space as a product manager at N26. I was there for some time and then I moved to Novo. Again, pretty simple, like same similar space. So I work in the onboarding, sign up, verification. I also work in a little bit of login. So as Matt, joined Novo. I feel like I've gotten closer to him and he and I have been collaborating on security and identity throughout the user's lifecycle, which is a really, really cool space. So yeah, that's me.
0: I'm glad. I'm just curious uh, what you mean by a hard pivot. Was it like a hard right? Like it was very different or it was hard as in difficult or a little bit of both between consulting and identity?
1: <laughs> I think a little bit of both, right? Like um, moving from consulting to like industry is a mm. pretty big shift on its on its own. And I was working in like economic litigation. So very different field, but very data driven. I think that's what connects the thread, the right? Like it was a highly data driven role and fraud is a uh, fraud identity is a data driven space. Right. <laughs> so I love data. Right. I love data and this seemed like a good and fun, fun thing to enter
0: i love it well i'm always a big fan of people coming from other places and, and most do right i came from customer service and payments and then found myself into fraud we all come from different areas and i think that it gives us each a even more unique perspective than the places that we work in identity and fraud it's an added layer and matt i know you have been on fraudology before but it's been a while and you were you know with a different company before and you you're a strategist so you work with a lot of startups but I'd love for you to refresh Fresh, especially because I have a lot of new listeners, a little bit of background about who you are and how you ended up at Novo.
2: Yeah, thanks, Chris. And again, always a pleasure to be here and always a pleasure to hang out with you. Yeah. So my background, I've been in the fraud prevention space, give or take going on 15 years you and I same time frame got into the space when nothing existed and we had to figure it out with duct tape and bubble gum. And luckily, I've had a really interesting career from going into military intelligence and spending time working more for on the government side and then also as a fraud strategist. And I've had the pleasure of working with a lot of great companies had spent some time at Instacart, worked with payment processors. I've worked in within the NFT crypto space. Before this, I was working with Candy Digital, which is an NFT platform. And one of the interesting parts of my kind of subject matter expertise is solving usually either major problems or standing up entire new programs. So I either usually will come in when there's a problem or when there is a brand new strategy that they want to stand up new teams, new operations, new tech stacks, et cetera. So that has brought me over to Novo to work with all sorts of really cool new strategies, new approaches are one of our founders are very cutting edge. They're willing to take bigger steps in the direction of fraud prevention, which we'll talk about than an average company because they're very security first company we're a customer security first company and which i'm happy to talk about but yeah that leads me to today i work very closely with sid and sid and i partner up on the fraud strategy and the technology piece especially during onboarding identity kyc anything that happens coming onto the funnel onto our platform and then of course we have multiple strategies throughout the entire customer journey and platform ecosystem
0: Something that I have always found fun and interesting over the time that we've known each other as well as just when you and I do talk, we have to make sure our batteries and our phones are charged and we've cleared our schedule. (laughs) Not just because we both love to talk, but we love to dive into like the details and the nuance. But something I've definitely noticed, you're similar to a consultant in the fact that you like to really go in and fix the problems and and stay stay there for a while. Right. And you'll work with one or two companies at a time in their startup phase and get them going. Whereas I'll often do more shorter term projects and kind of help on the sidelines. And so we both love to do that and be the ones who probably because we're gluttons for punishment. But we also love a challenge. And that's what I'm getting 100%. to. Is we both love to do the, the strategy part and the building. But the sustaining, I learned a long time ago, I'm not as much. I don't like the sustaining part as much. But thank God there totally. are a lot of people that do. But I've noticed in the companies that you have chosen to work with, Some of the most common, there's always going to be outliers, but some of the most common themes are that they're unique business models and they have challenges that you haven't ever gotten to dive into before. And I think, yeah, and especially with the last two companies you've worked with, I think You have, and I get this way too, of, you know, because of working with so many different companies, I start to realize, okay, this is the kind of company I really want to work with because it allows me more bandwidth, etc. I think I've noticed that the leadership is really bought into the importance of fraud prevention and customer security. And I imagine that makes a big difference.
2: Hundred, I couldn't have said it better myself. Yeah, like when I am considering going on to a new project or a new company, whether it's just being a consultant for a board or whether it's going in as a contractor or going in as a full time employee, like the number one question that I always ask in the process of communicating with senior leadership is like, how does the founder CEO view fraud? Do they see it as a required business expense or do they see it as like a critical strategy to the success of the company? And you know. Novo is a perfect example of this. You know, I got to speak with Tyler, one of the co-founders at Novo, and he is actually like a secret fraud prevention ninja himself. And so he like all the time will send me all sorts of really interesting fraud prevention strategy stuff Hmm. and tactics that he likes. And so him and I hit it off right off the bat because they understand the value of keeping their platform safe, you know, having high security standards, high fraud prevention standards. And it's not just a business expense that they have to, you know, spend a few thousand dollars on the side and then forget mm-hmm. about. And then it makes our it makes my life a lot easier when I don't have to sell them and say, hey, let's spend 10 million now to save 100 million in the future. That might not happen. That's the hard challenge. Whereas if you have the investment up upfront going in, those are usually the projects that I like to take on the most is because it gives me the freedom to use the technology, the strategies, the vendors, etc. that I want.
0: Yeah, I want to dive into that a little bit more in a few minutes, but I think the next thing I think it's important for everyone to know for context is you know, Novo's business model. It's unique, and that's the cool thing about fintechs is that they've come in over the last ten years. Depending on where we are, you know, what types of fintechs we're talking about, to solve problems that the more traditional industries just can't solve. They're too big or they're not flexible enough or whatever. And Sid, I'd love for you to share just a little bit about what Novo provides as well as who are your customers and you know some of the products, etc.
1: Yeah. So Nova is a, is a fintech that provides the financial services for small businesses. And our primary product is a checking account. But surrounding the checking account, we also built an ecosystem of integrations that we really believe is like the future of small business, like a financial platform. And we're obviously continuing to expand, continue to listen to our customers and identify what it is that they need to grow their business. And so speaking of our customers, we're targeting a pretty like niche demographic. We're looking at those who like have started side gigs those who you know are doing like full-time business but we're not talking about startups but we're not talking about bc-funded startups we're talking about like small businesses later the real people whose entire job is this and like this is just been a community that's been underserved by digital banking. And yeah, that's who Novo is looking to serve. And like speaking, like as Matt said, why we take a security first approach is because this is real funds for real people and they can't afford to not have access to their funds. They can't afford to like have someone like make a fraudulent charge against their card because that's an existential threat, not just for their business, but like for them, right? This is not a startup that is VC funded. This is not a big company. And so this is Something you have to take seriously. You can't play around with that.
0: I that's so important. Way too many companies, fintech or not, don't think about that end user enough, even in all areas of the business, but sometimes especially in fraud, right? Oftentimes we're thinking about the adversaries trying to gain access and we're focusing more on that than we're thinking about like the end user and making sure that we are really enabling business, right? We're not just like disability How do we enable business for our customers? When you talk about like the smaller businesses, I mean, it's certainly something that I personally can relate to because eight years in business and I have yet to take an investor or a line of credit, which that might be changing at some point soon as I grow. But it's something I'm both proud of. But it's been, there's been a few tight times, of course, but mostly because you don't have a set payday, not because it didn't have exactly. coming in. <laughs> Exactly. Matt knows that, right? And I'm sure that your customers do too. It's, oh my gosh, like they said they'd pay two weeks ago. And now it's that's more the the harder part for me as as an entrepreneur. But in addition to kind of like me being, you know, me thinking of myself as your target market, when you say mom and pops and you say startups that don't have VC funding and side gigs, are these all internet-based businesses? Or it can be like actual mom and pop shops, physical locations, or do you not tie it to one or the other?
1: We don't really think of yeah. I don't think we we limit ourselves to one or the other. I think for us, I mean, we are like a national fintech. Like we have customers from all 50 states, and there's like like a pretty good representation from all. We are very much internet first. That's mm-hmm. uh, it. We are we are a tech company. It's fintech, but yeah, like we're still open to anyone physical look Like it doesn't matter. You're a small business. You mm-hmm. fit. Like you're in this underserved population. Like we are here for you.
0: And then just one more question said about who Novo is. What are an example of some of the financial services and products that you provide? And I think the first thing I think of is checking account or, you know, a savings account, things okay. like that. You know, of course, that's more traditional banking terms, credit, that kind of thing. But what are your core business offerings?
1: Yeah, sure. So definitely, I think the everything revolves around like the business checking account. I think that's like our core offering, right? But outside of that, we so credit is like one thing that we're starting to delve into, made like a new product for us. I think you you mentioned this, like about as a small business, right? You're worried about when you're going to get paid. Will Mm -hmm. I have enough? Like pay my contractors or whoever else, right? Like a lot of our products are built around getting users their funds faster and Mm -hmm. helping users, their contractors and subcontractors faster. So my quicker money movements, like, Those are the kinds of things we're innovating on or even building an ecosystem, right? Like we don't believe in building a walled garden of integrations where, okay, here are the integrations you must use if you work with Novo. We're Mm. all about helping small businesses conduct their business the way they want to not the way we want them to and Hmm. i think that's like super important like that ethos of like freedom in your ability to like our our goal is to have our users never really spend too much time on our platform because they're (laughs) going out and doing their like like working on their business like you shouldn't have to spend that time so we're (laughs) going to do as much as we can to like make sure you can focus on your business
0: so what you're trying to say you're you guys just basically set up this interview not to talk as much about fraud as to try to convince me to move from my very slow moving bank. Yeah, exactly. Is that what you're saying? I'm like thinking about how long it takes to log into my banking <laughs> on my business side of my banking. But that's it's a good point, point
2: though, Chris. Like really you are a great, would be a great <laughs> customer for us, right? Because at the end of the day, I mean, not only are we small businesses, of course we have LLCs, we have corps, things like that. But at the end of the day, it's like, how do we provide a better banking and financial experience for small businesses, whether that's increasing the speed of money movement, making things easier for startups, because it's a huge challenge, like you said, for in the financial services industry and traditional banks usually do not do not provide the correct technology or capabilities for small businesses that are do not have stable incomes that are bootstrapping that are running off of savings. And that's really where Novo comes in strong.
0: Obviously, I think it's definitely a niche that was underserved to Sid's point, not to make it about me at all. It's just I can relate to this more than I can in other ways, because I have been a small business owner for eight years. And I really honestly have just bootstrapped it and figured it out without I mean, I I really, I have been loyal to my bank and and my credit union or, or whatever situation that is. But at the end of the day, if there's a better situation, those are things. But one of the reasons why I'm loyal to my financial institution is because I know that they take fraud seriously, even if they don't have the liability on something. That's why I, you know, we have the majority of our accounts with them, business and personal. And so on that through line, I mean, knowing that Especially one of the reasons why banks, traditional financial services companies don't have a lot of good products for small businesses is they don't want to work with them because they can be unreliable or they can, you know, not have good credit or they can be hard to verify because they haven't had a business for very long. Exactly. They just started knowing that. And knowing that your founders, it was important for them to put customer security just within kind of the tapestry of the business. Matt, I'd love you to start talking a little bit about the unique complexities about Novo's business model as it's related to fraud and security for financial fraud, uh, cybercrime, like ADO, all sure.
2: those things. Yeah, exactly. And like you touched on it. So this isn't even not even necessarily a Novo specific problem. It's just a problem across the fintech space, especially for businesses, right? For companies that target B2B or businesses directly. And the reason for that is in traditional fraud prevention, right? Let's just say an e-commerce platform, things that we would identify as high risk, which is, of course, the old school data points like an email address that's less than a week old a Google voice number instead of a cell phone number, etc. For a small business that just started, that's the norm, right? The norm is you created a, a Google voice number because you don't want to go out and buy a business phone number, right? You create a new business email for yourself. You have a new domain name, right? These are all very standard practices. So we have to get our industry in general has to be very tactical and have an incredibly unique strategy on how we verify customers, on how we... We verify businesses on how we prevent financial crimes, etc. And uh, again, this is common across the financial services industry related to small businesses and even larger businesses as well as their information changes. And so because Novo has had this security first approach and a strong fraud prevention ecosystem, we leverage basically any of the ba- like when you think of top performing technologies, technology stacks and vendors, there's a good chance we work with them. So in order to succeed in our space. Data enrichment is incredibly important, right? Making sure that we have certain data points and we enrich the heck out of them, right? We want to get every more intelligence that we have to make educated decisions, the better. And not only is it better for our customers to help protect their businesses, but it's also it's better for the business because we make sure that we have our target market, right? And we're making sure we're keeping the platform safe. But it's also really important to like protect the integrity of the ecosystem, right? There's a lot of fit techs right now across the space, not even in our industry, are under the regulatory magnifying glass. And this is common across the space, right? And there's neobanks out there that have failed. There's fintechs out there that have struggled. There's, you hear stories of a big fintech that's customer facing, not business facing, that has high fraud rates and all sorts of regulatory issues happening. And Novo has, you know, that's to Michael and Tyler's, to their credit, our co-founders, they came out with that security fraud prevention first approach to protect their businesses and customers. And so that has allowed us, that has, teed us up to be in an ideal situation right now because we aren't losing sleep. We're like, we're very like, I'm comfortable. I will invite the regulators over to my house to have drinks any day like because I don't lose sleep over it because I know we do it right. We go. Said almost no the one is, in
0: fintech ever. <laughs> <laughs>
2: yeah, exactly. exactly. I The way I see it is you have to have that approach in our space in order to succeed and happy to talk about some of the strategies and things that we work on. But at the end of the day, that's the biggest challenge is how do you verify customers that have new data points that are unregistered, for example, on some of the traditional consortium models and some of the things that you work in, even on like open source intelligence tools that they have out there, white pages, etc. they will have virtually no information about them. It doesn't exist. So the, that's where it gets tricky, but there's some tricks around that as well.
0: Well, and that's a really good point. Fraudology is now brought to you by Sardine. So, what is sardine? I mean... Other than a small oily fish in the herring family, Sardine is a fraud tech platform that was ultimately built by fraud fighters for fellow fraud fighters with the features that they wanted in a fraud provider when they worked for companies within financial services, e-commerce, digital banking, and consumer lending. They're a team who geeks out on the same minute data that indicate a fraud pattern or anomaly as we do, and they run investigations every day. Sardine's product is even measured with the same KPIs, as you probably are. More specifically, Sardine has combined more than 30 data providers into one tool for you, benchmarked for performance into a single dashboard and API that can be used for KYC, AML, and payment fraud detection. But crucially, they also allow Sardine customers to use their own data, to access their own data, as well as the results from all data providers they work with and the features Sardine has created as they, their customers, need to use them. There's no more mysterious black box that calculates the risk of new accounts, logins, or transactions and magically turns them into a score that was most likely based on attributes that look risky to other people business models. For some clients, they use sardines as their full stack for all account onboarding, transaction monitoring, case management, etc. Others use them as a sophisticated data provider. Basically, sardine fits to you rather than vice versa. So if you want to see for yourself that the product you've always wanted finally exists, you can book a demo at www.sardine.ai or by clicking the link in the show notes for today's episode. I actually was just thinking about a conversation I had with a client this morning where they've known about fraud for a long time. But one of the reasons that they kind of work with me on a monthly basis, we have a retainer and I've worked with them for two years now. They like to touch base and understand it's a little bit different than a lot of the other companies I work with, but they like to touch base and understand what's new, right? And I work with a lot of the companies that they are similar to. And so every month when we meet, I'm like, hey, these are the things that other companies are seeing, whether it's specific to like a bin or something like that, or it's more generalized. And today, actually, the fraud manager said, I'm realizing that I've had some like long-term beliefs that I just can't think anymore about frauds." I... Like for example, literally today she was saying, "I used to always think if they're using the email address of the person who owns the credit card, that's not fraud. There's no way that could be fraud." But I had just gone through and told her all the different ways that you oh, know yeah. a fraudster can get access to an email inbox, and she, because they had seen a large spike on this, obviously fraudsters had figured out, "Oh, okay. We can do and just, I don't understand why they would risk the customer seeing it I'm like sometimes they don't care because it's all upside margin for them but other times they can gain access to the inbox whether it's through malware or whether it's through knowing the email address of the cardholder and then putting it into com and seeing what the breached passwords are for that email address and just you know rolling the dice and seeing if that person uses the same password that they did for Hulu six years ago on their email address like it can the be answer is yes
2: it. they do <laughs> the answer is yes they do I guarantee it <laughs>
0: <laughs> unless they work in fraud prevention. or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it was just so interesting where she was like, I've always thought this. And so similarly to what you were just saying, there are a lot of people that I'll see either they'll move companies or their company will say, Hey, we're going to take a new business model, or we're going to go to a new geography where there is no data verification. Really. There's no public records data like they have in U- the U S and they're like, Oh my gosh, I'm flying blind. And that's not to say that th- those aren't, Easy to become used to verifying. But I love, um, and this is why you and I can talk about strategy for hours, Matt, is that there's always more than a way to do something. And one of my exactly. mantras is that everything's figure outable. And as 100%. long as you can find a baseline, right? And so for you guys, your baseline is different than most people, because most people, their baseline would be we can find their email and their phone number and all that. They've been using it a long time. The domain is you know long time used, whether it's for established businesses or consumers. But you guys are like, okay, well, that's not our baseline anymore. So let's find a different baseline. Let's look at behavior. Let's look at device information. Let's look at other pieces. I think those are really good points. So do you have anything to add on that as far as like how your kind of unique business model adds some extra complexities when you're thinking about identity and knowing your customer?
1: Now, I think both of you actually like hit the nail on the head, right? Matt with his talk about thin files and you also talk about device behavioral, right? Those are, the, yes, the, that file or that public record can be thin. Here are the people trying to log in, sign up, onboard, right? And you can't fake that, right? Right. The, you can't fake your behaviors. Those kinds of things are honestly like, yeah. Those are the kinds of things that like we've seen in the industry, like that make a difference. And yeah, like those are the kinds of things that we're working on at Noble.
0: Well, and not only is it to prevent fraud, right? It's also because you're enabling business. These are people who, if they went to a traditional financial services company with their brand new domain and they wouldn't understand that's why they were getting declined, right? And their Google voice number and all that, that they look really shady compared to how who the, you know. The vast majority of who that financial institution works with, because small business owners or gig economy workers are such a tiny little piece of their puzzle. Whereas you guys are really creating the strategy specific to this underserved market, which does give you a little bit more flexibility as well, because you can really hone in on on how to, you know, if your whole mission is to approve these accounts and these people and these businesses that wouldn't get approved anywhere else, you do have to have a higher edge. You have to be cutting edge in allowing Correct. that strategy. I just, yeah, just one more thing I was just thinking of is I remember when Square first started, right? And me coming from a merchant services perspective, I was like, that's never going to work. Like I know the underwriting process, it takes three days and you know, they must have this much in reserves and da 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 And then I got in my neck a couple, you know, a year or two later, I got to know the team that started the risk department at Square. And I know some of them still, or, you know, know the people that are still running it now. and risk was their competitive advantage it was you know yep. 2009 2010 when the traditional acquirers were not taking on payment processing for people that sold it at farmers markets and craft fairs and all of those things from a payment processing perspective that was how they got so big is it was their competitive advantage and so i see that so much in what you guys are saying as well is you're seeing risk as an opportunity to grow rather than this thing that hinders business and is going to hold you back or be a cost of doing business
2: yeah, I think one of the areas that, that like I would double click on, Chris, is that it's it, not even so much as a, an area to grow, but an area to d- differentiate ourselves. And I think that what's really interesting about what forces us to innovate and what forces us to be, I would say, more on the cutting edge of, of things, which is why I really enjoy this, these industries where they're either new industries like the NFT space, where it's like the Wild West, and you're literally writing a strategy from scratch where that doesn't exist 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 yet, or you're in a space where you're forced to innovate because of lack of information and data and you're dealing with traditional data points that do no longer work. So I'll give you an example, like some of the technologies and some of the information and things that we work with. Fraudsters are and cyber criminals across the space are becoming far more advanced. And my argument still to this day is that like our industry is not catching up at the speed that fraudsters are innovating, right? And so I agree with that 110 (laughs) percent. Yeah. Right. And, you know, I'll give you a perfect example, which was quite funny. So one one of the people that I collaborate a lot with is Soups. He's the CEO, one of the co-founders at Sardine. He's a good friend of mine. So him and I will bounce ideas around just for fun. I'll try to, you know, he pokes holes in my logic. I try to poke holes in his. So we were talking about this new technology where basically it helps determine whether or not someone is, for example, picking up a phone off of a table and what angle the screen is in and et cetera, things like that. Right. So literally after we had this conversation a week later i pulled a video for him of what these fraudsters were doing is they taped phones onto a pvc pipe that went across and they hooked the pvc pipe up to a child's (laughs) remote control car and they had the button go forward and backwards so that the phone angle would constantly move and tilt to be able to get through those technologies like sometimes very simple Technologies and innovations that they came up with for probably 25 bucks mm-hmm. will break through that technology. So these are simple innovations that like we don't think you may spend $25 million developing a new technology and it's able to get beaten by a $25 children's toy. A so,
0: 16 year old, right? Friend. It's not somebody Correct. that's been like in a career of crime for years and years. Yeah, a lot of times it's the low tech. I mean, we're seeing that in the retail side with address manipulation. Like all, you've got all these million dollars technology companies that are dedicated to identifying fraud orders on a very regular basis. This is their bread and butter. This is what they do. And you have people who 100%. are adding extra letters or different characters or in different languages. And then you they're able to get around it because each fraud, some of the, some, not all, will record each individual address as a unique address. They won't link it to each other because there's one extra letter or one extra number, whatever. So there's these low-tech things that are not breaking but getting through and oh, totally yeah and i see this all the you time know, too where we just i think that was kind of my point of what my client said earlier right we have to understand that like the technology and the resources that we became dependent on for the last five or six years that worked pretty well are no longer working anymore And we need to know what the bad guys have access to what they know about what they're doing or else we'll just be comfortable thinking oh we're catching everything but you're actually not at all
2: Yeah, I think one of the biggest areas that I see as one of the biggest issues that I see across the industry is the lack of intelligence collection. Right now, the way that we learn in the fraud prevention space, both from the vendor side as well, like I blame both the merchant and the vendor for this case, is Mm -hmm. that like we wait till the attack happens and then (laughs) we learn about new approaches once when we've already taken a million dollars in losses or once when a company has already been completely wiped out. And that's a really poor way, obviously, to innovate. It's not you're after the bell curve, right? So yeah. one of the things that a lot of companies are having to do and they should do if they're not, is really understand the collection of intelligence mm-hmm. and how gathering intelligence and really like what I what it comes down to, which is like this point term now, is like proactive fraud prevention, right? Mm. How do you prevent fraud before it happens? The ninety-nine percent of fraud prevention programs out there are preventing fraud as it happens in real time, right? There's an attack, there's a fraudulent transaction, you're trying to stop that transaction from happening. There's very free few strategies out there that will, or companies out there that will actually let you prevent it from ever even taking place to begin with or to be one step ahead so you can plug the hole. And that's an area that a lot of businesses, Fortune 500s, etc., lack in. And I think that's one of the biggest problems is they get these, hey, we're going to spin up a machine learning model, we're going to spin up new models, and it's going to be able to detect these anomalies and be able to help us stop it. The problem is they're already at your doorstep. So.
0: Well, and most of the time that they, like the information that's feeding that model to be able to detect an anomaly is because anomalies weren't detected at all. So you're- That's correct. It's that continual feed of-
2: Feedback loop. Do
0: yep. have to have, I mean, if you use a real life example, that's like saying you're not going to protect your home until somebody is breaking the window, right? Correct. And exactly you're not going right. to put a sign out to say, hey, I have a security system. You're not going to have a dog. You're not going to, you know, All those things. Although I do know that you're very much a cat person. But I I was going to say some of your cats are attack
2: cats. So like, I got some, I got some tough cats for sure. There are some
0: big ones. But you know, you bring up such a good point, and I'm such a big advocate of that too. I mean, I know that I have introduced you to at least one person at a company that I think is best in class as far as finding yep. e-crime intelligence and data 100%. from that side there's also merchants I work with who have found it inter- you know it worth the investment to bring in someone who you know it depends on the company and the business model but who just spends all day on telegram and discord yep. yeah yep and there sure. are and obviously that intelligence company that you know you and I work with and think very highly yep. of also has a lot of hooks into those telegram groups yep. and everything too but there's layers, right? And the one thing yep. I would say about that, you would know this better than me because you were in military intelligence for some kind of a three-letter word agency. I think that's how we were referring to it when you were on the podcast the first time talking about it. They're not all the same. Gosh, I, there's yep. a couple that are like, basically they just provide all the lists of all the emails that have ever been breached before. Okay, well, I want to know which ones are breached for my company. Not all yep. of them, right? I want to know which ones are breached for my company or I want to know what these guys are doing for my company. You know, do you have Access to nation state data storage because there's definitely a lot of that going on, especially in different places. Do you have access? You know, it's, there are terms that get used blanketed, but I think that, like it's just so important to dive in a little bit and just say, like, they're not all the same. Just like a fraud tool is not a fraud tool, right? Like, I could name a Fraud company that's been around for a long time that may not be the same as a fraud company that's been around for six years. Now, granted, that also goes both ways, right? There's also newer technology that isn't as good as some of the stuff that's been around forever. So, like, definitely not trying to just kick the older guys down because some of them have done a good job at innovating. But that's why I will continue to beat the drum about ugh, vendors investing in R and D even after what they consider is their own exit until the end of time. But that's like a,
2: exactly. I
0: have all my rants, and that's one of them. But as far as proactive fraud prevention, I think that's such a, so important, right? Understanding what kind of tools do our adversaries even have, right? And I use the zombie analogy quite a bit. We're not fighting dragons, we're fighting zombies and they regenerate and they adapt to the weaponry that we have. And so if we don't know what they have now, we're going to still be using the first gen. And a lot of companies are, gosh, as far as that, I mean, obviously we could just talk about that all day, but so when you guys, you've talked a little bit about what your strategy was, right? what your vision was in coming in play. So I know that one of the pieces of the strategy is identifying different vendors, right? And identifying which ones are going to help our company the most, which ones are telling the truth, which ones aren't. And I know that we're actually, I feel bad because I'm going to tell people like, stay tuned, but we are going to keep recording this and go for part two, which will come out on Thursday. And we'll talk more about vendor relationships, selecting the right vendors, working with the right vendors, as well as some really cool cutting edge things that Sid and Matt have put into place and kind of come up with for identity specifically, which I'm super excited about. So thanks guys so much. We'll talk to you on Thursday. Thanks, Chris. Thanks.